0: going to pick up where we left off last week. And if you were here last week, or if you weren't, we looked at a story in the life of Abraham, this person that God calls out of idolatry of worshiping other gods and doing some pretty weird, bad things. And he calls him to himself and he says, I'm going to bless you and through you and your offspring, I'm going to bless the whole world. And then immediately, Abraham, after a famine comes to this land that God called him to, he basically, there's really no other way to put it, he basically Traffics his wife to the king of Egypt, uh, to uh, the Pharaoh, and then God comes in and he curses Pharaoh and and Pharaoh's people, he plagues them with plagues, so that they're like, wait a second, give Abram's wife back to him, and they load him down with stuff and they send him away. So God rescues Abram in spite of his own sort of foolishness and selfishness uh, that brings about great harm to himself and to his wife, but God is still uh, gracious to him. So we're going to pick up this week and look at the next chapter, the very next thing that happens. So Genesis chapter 13, starting at verse 1, we're going to kind of pick up pieces of this chapter uh, as we go along. So 13, verse 1. So Abram, also known as Abraham, went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot, who is his nephew, with him into the Negev, which is the southern part of the Promised Land. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. We'll stop there. Uh, Let me pray, uh, if you will, and uh, we'll jump into this. Lord God, we thank you uh, for this ancient uh, and strange text. Here we are tonight. Um, reading a story, thousands of years old, about a geographic dispute between a nomadic sheeps, sheep's herder and his nephew. Would you somehow use that to help us? Um, I believe that that is possible because I believe this is your word, but I pray that wherever we are coming from, uh, whether that sounds absurd, as it even kind of does to me, or whether that sounds like really enticing and exciting and a great way to spend a Tuesday night, uh, we pray that you would speak to us and bless us. And I pray this in your name, Amen. Um, so uh, a few several years ago, uh, we were uh, celebrating uh, my father-in-law's birthday, and my my children call him Pawpaw. His name's Larry, and my wife's dad. His name is Larry, and uh, he's an electrician. Um, and so he worked his way up through an electrical company, and then he kind of got out of that contracting business, and then went into his own business as like a handyman, like the guy that you would call to like fix a leaky roof or whatever. And uh, it was his birthday several years ago, and we had all kind of chipped in our money, and we bought him a Dremel set, which you all know what that is and love it. Um, we bought him a Dremel set. It's kind of like a drill, but it's got all these like components, these attachments you can put on it. And uh, So anyway, we're gathered around, and so my wife... Uh, is there and her sisters and you know they grew up with their dad kind of fixing everything like he could just kind of do stuff and she took me by her the house she grew up in one time and we saw this like detached two-car garage that he had built himself it's like a garage with like a playroom over it and all this stuff that he had just made with his own two hands uh with his father my wife's grandfather so he's just like super he's a handy man um and so Larry, you know, Pawpaw opens up this gift, he unwraps it, and he sees his Dremel set, and he's like a little kid. You know, he's thrilled, he's excited, and everybody's ooing and awing over his Dremel set, and then as things kind of die down, I say, um, so what do you do with that? And uh, my father-in-law, Pawpaw, Larry, he looked at me with what I can only describe as equal parts pity and shame, you know, it's <laughs> just like, I'm just like, I don't know how things, I don't know what tools are, I don't know what they do, That's not my thing, I like, was a like history and philosophy major, um, and he's just like, why did you marry my daughter, um, and then he went on, and the rest of the family as well are like, well, you're an idiot, like what, do you not know what this does, and you can, apparently the Dremel set. you can do everything, like you can like saw off rusty bolts that are stuck onto things, and you could make a birdhouse, or you could do wood carving, or you could like do dentistry on a rhinoceros like there's this things you can do with a dremel set that I was unaware of um now I will uh admit to you as I use this as a sermon illustration that there's some key differences between a dremel set and the grace of God extended to us through Jesus Christ those are not the same thing um but the question I was asking him was okay you've just received this gift that we gave you like what do you do with it what is the purpose of this gift? How do you put it to work? How do you use it? And so tonight we're going to look at uh, how Abram uses the gift of God's grace to him. I, I mentioned before, last week, Abram was, made some massive, massive mistakes, and God was very kind to him, and he preserved the life of Abram and his wife, and he kept them, and he even made them rich. So now, like, how is he going to respond to receiving God's grace? Now, as you're here week after week, you're going to see that Abram will have episodes where he like kind of gets what God's doing in his life, and then he messes up hugely, and then God comes in again, and so on and so forth. Um, but for now, he seems to have kind of registered that God has been kind to him. He's been gracious to him. He didn't treat him the way that he deserved. So what do we do with a gift? What do we do with God's grace? And In, in this passage, we see a number of things. First, we see that Abraham responds to God's grace with repentance. He repents. Um, now, there's not like a little verse in here where Abraham says, I, I repent, I'm sorry, um, but the way that the text shows us Abraham's repentance is through geography. Uh, a, a good definition of repentance, we tend to think of repentance as sort of like groveling or feeling bad about ourselves, but really uh, repentance is just turning around. Um, I remember uh, years ago when my son Benjamin uh, was about four years old, and uh, he had just sort of being he was just kind of being a pain because four year olds can just kind of be like annoying or whatever and um, he was doing stuff and we had tried different things and then finally we were like all right we're gonna put you like in the timeout chair over here so I put him in the timeout chair over here and then we gotta set a timer for like five minutes like Benjamin you got to sit in the chair you know for five minutes and then like we, we're waiting around he's sitting there he's doing his thing the alarm goes off and so I walk across the into the kitchen on the oven where we had set the timer, and I'm about to turn off the alarm, and I said, Hey, Benjamin, okay, your timeout's done. Um, I'm I'm turning it off. And I hit the button to turn it off, and I turn around, and he, like, takes me out at the knees um, with a huge smile on his face. He was running to give me a hug. That's repentance. We think of repentance as, like, quit doing the bad stuff and start doing the good stuff. But in the Bible, repentance is running back to your father. And here we see Abraham doing that very thing. If you notice, it says that he he goes to the Negev, which is the southern part of the promised land, as far as Bethel to the place his tent had been at the beginning, in between Bethel and Ai, which is more towards the north. It says it back to where he was at the beginning, where he had previously in the passage had built an altar to God to worship him. Abraham runs not across the kitchen, but across the promised land back to his father. It's this journey of repentance. Um, we, sometimes we think about repentance as this like, one-time thing. Like, repentance is what you do the moment you become a Christian, which is true. There's this holistic, like, in my life turning around. But Abraham's already been called by God. He's already begun to follow God. The, what this Part of what this passage shows us is that repentance, this turning away from ourselves and back towards God, is this ongoing process throughout our lives. It's this thing that we repeat and that we do again and again and again. Or we think of it as, I'm going to repent so that God will be gracious to me. Like, if I turn away, then his kindness will come, then his forgiveness will come. But we see here that Abraham doesn't initiate God's grace to him by coming back. God initiates with his grace first. And Abraham's repentance, his turning back and running across the kitchen, is because of what God has already done for him. It's a return to God. I would just simply ask you where do you need to turn around? What's the thing that you're doing in the corner that you need to drop and run across the house and hug your father with? Um, What is it? For some of you, it might even be for the first time in your life. It's that huge, like, my entire life I've been going towards this, and now I'm seeing that God loves me, and I want to run back to him. Or for some of you, it may be that, like, you're, you generally want to follow God, but there's areas in your life where you know uh, you're off track, and you want to run back to him. Um, maybe you need to apologize to your roommate. Maybe... He's cutting, looking around. (coughs) He's talking to you. Um, um, Maybe you need to to apologize to your parents. Um, Maybe your parents need to apologize to you, and they never have. And so that's why you don't know how to do it with your roommate. Um, It it could be a whole bunch of things. But what does it look like uh, for you to turn around tonight? Uh, But I want to keep moving. So first he repents. There's a responding to God's grace. Here's what he does with the Dremel set. He runs back to dad. Uh, But second, it's an amazing thing. He learns how to rest. We respond to God's grace with repentance, running back to him. But we also respond to him with rest, which is really counterintuitive. I want to show it to you here. Let's pick up at verse 5. And Lot, who is Abraham's nephew, went with Abram. He also had flocks and herds and tents. So that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. So last week we saw he goes into Egypt starving to death, and then he's loaded down with stuff and is sent away. And he's gotten, he and his nephew have gotten so rich with, like, cattle and goods and people that the land that they're now in can't, like, handle both of them. And so, like, they're the sheep herders are fighting with each other over who gets to, like, eat the grass where Uh, and it's amazing because last week we see with Abram as soon as he gets in trouble he starts doing horrible things he's lying he's giving his wife to another person which is horrific Um, he's jeopardizing himself his wife and the promise of God he doesn't ask God what to do he just tries to take care of himself but this week having been rescued a few verses earlier um, he learns how to rest (laughs) And, and where I see that here is that he is learning to let go of grabbing what he needs for himself. He doesn't try to do it on his own. And it's really interesting, this, this action that Abram does towards Lot is this really magnanimous uh, gesture. Uh, Abraham is the patriarch. He's like the guy in charge. He's the head of the tribe. And he has every right whatsoever to say, you know what, Lot? Um, our herdsmen are fighting, and... I'm in charge, so, like, I love you, but, like, find somewhere else to live. Or he could be, like, a little less magnet, you know, he could be, like, a little less stingy and be like, look, I'm going to get first pick of the best land, and then you take whatever's left over. Like, that's totally fine, but instead he says to his nephew, you know what, actually, take first dibs. Like, you pick, you pick where you want to be, and I'll go wherever you don't want to go. Um, because he has learned that God is going to take care of him. And it's what's interesting here, too, is that he uses, like, the commentators point out he uses, like, really polite language. Uh, if you notice, he said, because we are kinsmen. And what's interesting is that that word kinsmen could be translated brothers. It has a broader definition, too, which means no, kinsmen, like we're related. But he could totally pull rank. He could say, like, I'm the uncle, you're the nephew, so you take the lesser part. But he doesn't speak to Lot in terms of his rank. He speaks to him in terms of their relationship. He's not saying, I'm one up. He's saying, we're connected. Let's emphasize that. Um, He doesn't feel like he has to snatch it for himself. But then there's this contrast in the passage, as the passage goes on between Abram and Lot and their perspectives. Verse 10 goes on. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. That was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And there's this little linguistic clue as to what's going on. Like, this, is why, this, is, this is why you paid the good money to come to RUF. This is what you're going to get tonight. Where it says in verse 10 that Lot lifted up his eyes and saw. It's a Hebrew linguistic device that's sort of like a point of view camera. The author is saying, like, this is the, bird's, this is the view from inside Lot's head. Like, And Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw. It's not saying this is actually the way it is. It's Lot's perspective. It's his point of view. He lifted up his eyes, and he saw that this land over here, which, by the way, is geographically just outside the promised land that God has promised to Abraham and his family. It's just over the border. And it says he saw that it was like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt which would have rung a bell in the heads of the original listeners. First, the land of Egypt was the land where the original hearers of this text would have said, like, that's where we were enslaved. That's where the bad things happen. And Lot thinks that prosperity is like Egypt, is like slavery. But second, it's like the Garden of the Lord. It's like the Garden of Eden. And in, the, in their story, in the story of the world, the, the Garden of Eden, the Garden of the Lord, is the place where you have your actual identity. It's the place where peace is there. It's the place where you are your true self and the work that you do has purpose and meaning and worth. And Lot is looking outside of God's promise and saying, that's the Garden of the Lord. As one author uh, put it, he wants the garden of the Lord, but without the Lord. He wants the garden of the Lord without the Lord. And I love how the narrator sort of said, like gives this little nudge-nudge, like that was before God rained fire down from heaven onto Sodom. and Gomorrah. <laughs> Like, oh, my, okay, fire's coming to destroy this place later. It's giving you this clue. It's giving the reader this little like, oh, this is not going to go well for Lot. I don't think this story's going to end well. I think this is a bad idea. What he's chosen to do here, and yet Lot knows where the Promised Land is, but he says to Abraham, "See you later. I'm going over there. I want the Garden of the Lord without the Lord." Um, I love this podcast called This American Life. If you don't know it, subscribe to it. It's amazing. Uh, several years ago, there was a storyteller on it uh, named David Radcliffe who was talking about big mistakes he's made in his life. He was talking about years ago, like in the early '80s. He had this job at this computer company, and um, One day, his boss came in, and he's like there with these other computer programmers, and the guy was like, I'm taking the company in a whole new direction. We're going to put everything on this thing. It's like it's this network where computers will connect to one another, and all of you are going to get a login thing. Like you're going to log on to your computer, and then your computer will talk to their computer back and forth, back and forth. And he said, you know, this sounded ridiculous. He went home that night. Uh, he thought about it, and he, he described it as, he's like, I thought, like, who is going to go to their computer and log on and talk to other people on their computer? He's like, these are like the guys who get the Spider-Man comic book, and it says, for more information on the Green Goblin, see episode 57. And then they go buy <laughs> Magazine 57 and look up more info on the Green Goblin to get his backstory. He's like, this is, this is sad. And so he, he turned in his two weeks' notice the next day and said, uh, sayonara, suckers, enjoy your network. <laughs> um, and so, like you and I know, hearing that story now, that that's, of course, like the, some of the people that were creating the foundation of the internet, right, that we use on a daily basis that I'm technically using right now. And um, it, it, that is sort of how the original hearers would have heard this story about Lot. So long, Abram, enjoy your network, You know, enjoy your promised land. Um, It ends up in disaster. Why does Lot do this? The the story is trying to tell us that Lot wanted to grab it for himself. He wanted to grab the garden. He wanted to grab the garden of the Lord apart from the Lord. But Abram has kind of learned his lesson. He's beginning to learn. Learning is a process. He has begun to learn that he can trust God and his grace to sustain him. But I want to ask you, where do you grab for the garden? Where do you want the garden of the Lord, but without the Lord? Um, where do you get your identity, your worth, your sense of value and purpose and hope, your belonging, your success, your peace? The obvious one here at William Mary is in your grades, like academics. And next week when the faculty come and talk to us, I'm really excited about it. Maybe I'm hoping it'll stir some ideas of how we can view academia as not just a striving for ranking up, but a place of wonder and exploration of all that God has made. But maybe it's school, like you just want that grade and you could take God or leave him, but as long as you get your GPA. Maybe it's in a relationship. Like if she will just marry me, or even just kind of look my way, then I don't need it anymore. Or it's not so much academics, like you're, like you're at William & Mary to sort of get over a hurdle so you can get that career, you want that job that's going to give you, or maybe it's your social status, your network, <laughs> your social yes. network. Um, maybe you're sitting here thinking, like, I don't, I don't really know where I grab for the garden, I'm not sure. So we're talking about rest, about Abraham being able to be open-handed. Um, where are you not able to rest? What's the thing that you can't ignore and put your head down and go to sleep on? Um, I mean, we are so busy. Some of you, like, I, you know, I'll frequently be like, hey, let's get coffee, blah, blah, blah. And usually, like, when people make an appointment with me to get coffee, they're like, I know you're really busy. Like, literally, my job is meeting with you. <laughs> like, I'm busy, like, hanging out with you. Yeah, I'm super busy. Um, but, oh, so, how are you doing? Oh, I'm busy. I'm oh, crazy busy. You know, we're like, I just wish I had more time. You know, we all have the same amount of time. That's like 24 hours one day. Like, we all have the same amount of time. Like, nobody gets more time than another person. And to some extent, like, we have obligations and things we need to fulfill and important work to do. I get that. But at another level, we're kind of basically in control of our own schedules. Like, we choose. I'm choosing to be here right now. And so are you. Thank you, by the way. (laughs) It would be a sad life for me if you were not. Um, But we're so, so busy. Um, Why don't we rest? What are the things that we can't sleep and let go? Um, We can't rest about certain things, identity, relationships, career, GPA, um, for a number of reasons. First, it's just basic unbelief. Like, we just don't think that God actually has our best interests at heart. Um, and it not, not just in the sense that, like, oh, don't worry, Abram, God's going to give you awesome land later. Not that. Like, oh, you'll, you know, just trust God and you'll be successful. Uh, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, which for Paul meant starving in prison. Um, but that God has his, the best life now for you is what he has for you. That he has better things coming. Um, there's basic unbelief that God's not going to follow through, but there's also just thinking too highly of ourselves. You could call it unbelief on the one side and then pride on the other. Like, if I don't take care of this, like, who's going to change the world if not me? Um, a good friend of mine uh, was also a campus minister with RUF at a, at a similarly prestigious school as William and Mary, and he gave a sermon. He told me about this, and I actually met the guy that spoke to him afterwards. Later, he gave a sermon on how God rested on the seventh day after his creation and the importance of rest and how we're made like God and how we just fundamentally need to to stop and to rest. And then afterwards, this young man who was brilliant, had a scholarship, was super like off the charts, amazing guy, was like, yeah, but that doesn't apply to me because to whom much is given, much is expected. And how do I... Like, I'm, I've just been very gifted with intellect and abilities and it is incumbent upon me to affect change on the world. It's irresponsible for me to take a day off. Kid was brilliant and had just heard a sermon about God taking a day off. It was dead serious. And I did the exact same thing. Like, part of my job is, like, you guys and your life. There's times where I can't sleep at night because I'm worried about you. Or I'm worried about my wife, or I'm worried about my kids. And part of that is, like, God just makes us that way. We need, you know, we're connected to each other. I don't think all of my lost sleep is bad. But part of it is incredibly narcissistic. Because I think that you're not going to make it without me. Which is crazy. Right? I hope. right? So, please say right, or I'll, I won't be able to sleep tonight. Um, but uh, it's, uh, we're full of ourselves. And then, and then finally, the other thing is that we're just afraid of looking bad. Like, you can't rest from your schoolwork because everybody else is working so hard, and there's this culture that's saying, like, I don't want to look like a lazy idiot to the people in my major, on my hall, my roommate, they work hard. I don't want to look bad. And what's interesting to me in this passage is that Abraham, like in this society, they kind of like, if you own this field and that field, like the people around him would have known that he just handed his nephew the better piece of land in front of them. Like they would have looked at him and been like, that guy is a fool. He's an idiot. Like Abraham does has no idea what he's doing. Um, but he has learned to let go. Do you feel guilty when you rest? When you just decide, like, I'm done, it's Sunday, I'm going to go to church, I'm not going to work all day, do you feel like, I'm not allowed to do this? This beautiful thing in the Bible is God says, not only are you allowed to do that, I'm going to tell you, you have to. You, here's, here's, a, here's a horrible command from a mean, angry dad. Take the day off and don't worry about anything today. Take care of it tomorrow. You jerk, I've got... It's a beautiful commandment. Take a day off. Um, You are a creature dependent on your creator. Uh, One of the litmus tests of faith is the ability to rest. Uh, If you can't rest then it shows, trace it back to your faith. God is saying, I will take care of you. You don't have to snatch it for yourself. Abram is open-handedly generous to his good-for-nothing nephew. Um, so that we can say, my hope is not in my school, my grades, my career, my beautiful wife or husband, uh, my white teeth, my great body. <laughs> Though, I know what you're thinking, like, it's easy for you to say, because you have all those things. Um, Laughter But we can learn to say, look, those things are nice. Those things are great, but not without the Lord. No, thanks. I don't want the garden of the Lord without him. I can rest. And then finally, I'll keep going. Okay, finally, renewal. Verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that no one can count the dust of the earth. Your offspring also cannot be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent, and he came and he settled by the oaks of Mamre, which is at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Uh, the final step in responding to God's grace, first there's uh, repentance, then there's rest, and then here we see renewal. Abraham and, and God renew their relationship. Um, and God initiates this, but there, he gives them a little bit of new info. He like, sort of takes Abraham for a walk and he gives like the dust analogy. But basically the essence of everything he's saying he gets specific about the borders of the promised land a little bit more. But on, on the whole, he's telling him the same thing he just told him in chapter 12. He's repeating himself. It's not a new relationship; it's a renewed relationship. And he's saying, "I'm going to bless you beyond your wildest dreams, and I'm going to bless the entire world through you and your descendants." And if you think about it, all relationships kind of work this way. You ever that friend that you haven't talked to in a while, and you kind of keep bumping into each other? Like, let's get coffee. Let's get, let's meet up. Let's get a, let's grab a thing. Let's grab a thing. And like six months have passed. We're like, why have we? Not? You know. And then you finally get together. And you have that lunch, and as you're eating together, like you might learn kind of what's been going on with you, what's been going on with me, but on the whole, you're not really getting new info, you're just resetting. Oh yeah, I know you. We're friends. Uh, this is a relationship that matters. Or maybe you experienced this coming home from college, and that friend that you haven't really talked to that much since high school, but you've been best friends since you were kids, and you were able to just pick up right where you left off, even though you hadn't talked in a year. You just get each other. And you have that moment where your relationship is renewed. I experienced that in my marriage of times where, like, we're married, we have our thing, but then there's times where Don and I are like, oh, yeah, like, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, like, in sickness and in health, like, this is us, right? Um, should probably do that sometime soon. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, there, there's these moments of, of renewal. Um, let me ask you, like, where do you... If you're a believer, where does God renew his promises to you? And where do you reaffirm, like Abram, in that last verse, it says he builds an altar to the Lord. He's coming back to where he was, and he's worshiping God. I hope that for some of you, that's part of why you came tonight. Like, I need to, I need to get coffee with God. <laughs> I need to hear again that him say, I love you, you're mine. And I'm like, yeah, that's, yeah. I'll sing a song for you. <laughs> Will we do that together? It'll be great. Where does he meet you? Where are you renewed with your identity? And maybe it's right here, right now, with these people. And it's also, of course, in his church, where you are with uh, Christians who are 90 or 75 or 80 who aren't just college students. Uh, and you get to do stuff like take the Lord's Supper and you get to like, see somebody get baptized. And you're like, oh, yeah, promises of God. I'm being renewed. Um, pursue that. Go to that. Run to him. Um, I'll finish with this. I'm going a little bit over time, but um, let me let me finish up with this. Another. This is another story of me witnessing somebody getting a gift in my life, and this is when I was about 12 years old, and my older brother David. He's two and a half years older than me. He was about 14 at the time, and uh, David and my father. Uh, I'm the youngest of four, and David's like the middle child of the brothers. Like we have an older sister. And David just—it was just like middle child stuff. Some of your middle children, um, and you remember when you're 14 and like your dad was not your favorite guy for a lot of you. Um, there's something just intrinsic to being like in middle school and your dad, and I'm like entering that with my kids, and it scares me to death. Um, and uh, my dad was a wonderful uh, father, but I just remember in that season, like he and he and David would just fight a lot. They would just argue. And It was Christmas. My brother David's a musician, like a really good one, um, and uh, he played the piano. And at the time, he had like a keyboard that was like Casio, like ding, ding 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 ding, with like the pre-programmed stuff. And uh, he had picked out like a better one that like was sensitive to how hard you push on the keys and all that kind of stuff. And he had had it labeled out. And he was like, "Mom and Dad are probably gonna like, get this for me. It's gonna be expensive, etc." And my dad had found out like the exact. Synthesizer, my brother wanted and like the Yamaha XL74921-A, and um, there I knew that David was getting it. And there's like a a giant rectangle, right? <laughs> like this huge box. And David, I could tell David kind of knew on Christmas morning, but he's sitting there. My brother David is sitting there, crisscross applesauce. The other one is racist. So crisscross applesauce, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> on the floor, and, uh, and he. Uh, he, he rips it open, and it's like, there it is, Yamaha QXLR74-A, exactly what he wanted. And all of that middle school angst and tension just were evaporated from the room. And he, he ripped it open, and he looked at I'll never forget it. And he is like, crisscross applesauce. And lunges at my dad, who's sitting a couple seats away. Like, he, like, twists his body and just dives for his neck. And I could see the look on my dad's face of receiving that hug from my brother. And it was this beautiful thing. And, like, there's a big difference between the grace of God and Jesus Christ and a Dremel set and a synthesizer. But your father has given you a tremendous gift in Jesus He hasn't just rescued you from Egypt and a mean slaveholder Pharaoh. He set you free from the law of sin and death. He has given you life through his spirit. He has given his son to die and rise for you. Go back to him. Return to him. Rest in his arms and renew your relationship with him. Let me pray and we'll sing some more. Lord God, we thank you uh, that you are kind to us, that you are good, that you love us. Um, We pray that you would, would you receive the songs that we sing to you now? We pray this in your name. Amen.